Good morning, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 27 October 2022, and this is lecture number 69 in Membrane Biochemistry. Now, I want to back up a bit, really back up, um, examine in more detail what's going on in mitochondrial electron transport. So I can bring up a couple of other papers relative to lipid metabolism, membrane-associated bioenergetics, which is, again, leading to the very end or the climax of this uh, series of lectures on the uh, membrane. All right, so... You know that there are many reactions in the cell that require molecular oxygen. And so you have dehydrogenases, oxidases, oxygenases, and you also have the redox system. So that means we need to talk again about biological oxidation. Remember that oxidation involves sometimes molecular oxygen, But most importantly, what we mean by it in chemistry is oxidation is a transfer of electrons. Indeed, oxidation is is a term used for the removal of electrons. And then reduction is a gain of electrons. Oxidation is always accompanied by a reduction of an electron acceptor. And when you're talking about Mammalian systems, which of course are aerobic, um, are bioenergetics, absolutely depend upon, necessary and universally, molecular oxygen uh, and the process of physiology called respiration is where you normally learn about this in high school or in undergraduate. And of course, what that is, is the cells derive energy from a controlled series of one-electron step reductions of molecular oxygen to water, okay? So when you express a redox reaction, for example, Fe2 plus Cu2, copper 2, going to Fe3 plus copper, that can be actually expressed as two half cell reactions. First of all, you're getting iron 2 going to iron 3 plus an electron. Obviously, because you drove an electron off, that's an oxidation. And that means that Fe2+, that is ferrous iron, is the reducing agent. Now, take the other half cell of that reaction. You've got copper 2+, plus, plus an electron going to copper that's a reduced that's a reduction okay the reduced copper two plus to copper just plus so in that reaction cu2 plus is an oxidizing agent now i want you to keep these terms uh square so a reducing agent is when you have an electron donating molecule and an oxidizing agent is when you have an electron accepting molecule. And together they form the conjugate redox pair. Okay? 
So redox potentials of any molecular substance is a measure of its affinity for electrons. So in oxidation reduction reactions, there's a free energy uh, coefficient, and that free energy change is proportional to the tendency of the reactants to donate divided by except electrons. And we use this term E sub naught prime. Now that is an electrochemical potential. Okay. So a reaction with a positive sign for delta E sub naught superscript prime has, when it has a net, uh, that is, that's the change in, in that particular um, elect electrochemical potential. When it has a negative value, when it has a positive value, you get a negative value for Gibbs free energy, where Gibbs free energy is delta G naught prime. So a reaction with a positive value for delta E naught prime, you'll have a concomitant negative value for delta G naught prime. So that means an exergonic reaction. So the redox potential of any biological system is always compared with the potential of hydrogen electrode expressed at pH 7. Okay, so that's where we get all of our values for. Okay, so let's move up now to a couple of other terms. Now, the term I just gave you is more authentically in chemistry called an electrode potential because it involves free energy change. And what I just gave you the equation for is a free energy change divided by the electron charge, which is associated with moving the electron or any charged species, right? Now, that's in comparison to a electrochemical potential, sensu stricto in chemistry, which is a mu sub j uh, alpha superscript. Now, the unit for an electrochemical potential is joules per mole. The unit for the electrode potential is simply a volt. Okay? So the electrochemical potential is that partial molar Gibbs free energy, that delta G naught prime, of a given species J, remember that was mu sub J, in phase alpha. And that was the superscript. Okay, so there are other terms we could bring in. There's chemical potential, solution potential, and overpotential. We're not going to talk about those right now. Maybe later on we'll get back to them. So let's talk about the electrode potential. Now, sometimes in chemistry we call that capital E W E, and the W E are are, are not uh, capitalized. Now, in the context of other potentials, that W E simply means working electrode. Okay, so you very seldom see this in the literature. But you have an electrode potential, okay, delta E naught prime. It's going to have units of volt. And it's given by the difference, that is per charge, 
in the working electrode relative to the delta, well, let's put it this way, the mu e in a second electrode that is typically set via a reversible electrochemical half reaction. That would be the reference electrode. Now, the sign convention for this is again consistent with electrons spontaneously flowing from a more positive E naught prime or EWE. So practically speaking, you measure the voltage difference between the working and the reference electrode. Because the EWE and the ERE, that's the reference electrode for RE, are each themselves defined relative to an arbitrary reference. Okay, so the cell voltage is usually the, written as the E, as a capital letter, of the cell. And that would be the EWE minus the ERE. So you have open circuit cell voltage, and that's related to Gibbs free energy change of the overall electrochemical reaction occurring and working between the two potentials, okay? The working potential and the reference potential or the working electrode and the reference electrode. So electrode potentials can also be measured during spontaneous electrochemical reactions. For example, like corrosion, and that can be measured and controlled by a potentiostat and a conventional three-electrode experiment, which we can talk about sometimes uh, later if you really want to get into some electrochemistry. Now, in biology, which is what we want to talk about today, of course, and you talk about the mitochondrial membrane, the inner mitochondrial membrane, you have an oxidative process. And the oxidative process, of course, is going to be involved in a redox. And so you're going to oxidize nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, reduced form, and you're going to oxidize flavin adenine dinucleotide, reduced form. And when you oxidize those two nucleotides, you're going to transport electrons and protons via electron carriers for the former and via the electron uh, proton motive force across the mitochondrial membrane for the proton. Okay. But ultimately, well, all you're going to really do is reduce, as I said before, molecular oxygen to water. Okay. At the same time, that oxidative process is going on. Actually, it's a redox, as I just mentioned. And that's all happening in association with the inner membrane and certain proteins that are in the matrix and certain solutes that are in the intramembranous space. Coupled with that, you have a phosphorylation process. That's why we call it oxidative phosphorylation. And the phosphorylation is simply pumping protons through a, through a polypeptide called the proton pumping ATPase or ATP synthase which takes ADP and inorganic phosphate and makes ATP, okay? So the redox reactions that we're talking about 
in this particular cell are ones that are involved in the respiratory electron transport chain. And again, the electrons are being used to reduce O2 to H2O. And the energy generated from this series of this redox system, this coupled redox system, moves protons from the matrix to that intermembrane space. So you get then inward movement of the protons that recovers the electrochemical potential across the membrane, and it also allows you to use the energy to promote the formation of ATP okay, in a molecular motor activity of the ATP synthase. Now, only four of the 38 ATP from uh, glucose ultimately produced by respiration. And that's because for glucose itself, glycolysis, you get a substrate level uh, phosphorylation, two from glucose, from glycolysis, excuse me, and two from the TCA cycle. So you only get four of the actual 38 ATP if you completely respire glucose. But the, that means the most of the ATP that's synthesized, that's 90% actually, because you have 38 total and you only got four from glycolysis and the TCA, um, comes from the electron transport chain. And that's essentially from the energy in the electrons that are carried by NADH and FADH2, which became reduced because of the oxidative reactions associated with the uh, uh, with one particular dehydrogenase in the glycolytic pathway, but also more importantly, the dehydrogenases in the TCA cycle. So again, you've got glucose going to two pyruvic acids. That gives you the total of two NADH. You also make 2-NADH per glucose molecule when you run the pyruvate dehydrogenase complex reaction, making two acetyl-CoAs. The acetyl-CoAs then uh, condense with oxalacetic acid and run the, the uh, TCA cycle, where you make 6-NADH and 2-FADH2. That's going to generate more ATP. And then the rest of the bulk of that NADH and FADH2 is going to go through the electron transport chain. And that's going to give you about 34 ATP. So 2 ATP from glycolysis, 2 ATP from direct synthesis running the TCA cycle, and 34 from the ETC. So that means total, again, combustion or oxidation of one glucose gives you 38. Okay. Now, what's going on here? is you have, first of all, NAD going to NADH. And that's because you took a reduced substrate and you oxidized it, all right? So those are reactions, for example, called dehydrogenases. The NADH is then reoxidized in complex one. This is an electron transport chain complex that's found in the mitochondrial membrane. <clears throat> and when you reoxidize NADH, you reduce 
flavin mononucleotide from FMN to FMNH2. Now that's coupled to complex 2. But complex 2 can only really take succinate and make fumarate. And in so doing, take FAD, flavin adenine dinucleotide, and generate, um, excuse me, take, take, yeah, take FAD and make FADH2. Now, the FADH2 that's made in complex 2, that's an enzyme complex called succinate dehydrogenase, which is essentially an enzyme in the TCA cycle. When that occurs, <clears throat> the FADH2 will be used to reduce coenzyme Q, which is a prenal lipid in the inner mitochondrial membrane. And coenzyme Q then will form, after reduction, coenzyme Q, H2, the reduced form. The same time that happens, <clears throat> besides having the succinate dehydrogenase running the FADH2, right, after the succinate dehydrogenase enzyme producing it, the same FMNH2 you made from NADH dehydrogenase can also be oxidized because of coenzyme Q being reduced to coenzyme QH2. Got it? So the next reaction is complex three in the electron transport chain. That takes coenzyme Q reduced, so that's CoQH2, and that takes iron at the ferric iron level and produces ferrous iron, okay? So more oxidized, Fe3+, now goes to Fe2+, because of the reducing power of reduced coenzyme Q, generated via the reduction either of succinate dehydrogenase or NADH dehydrogenase, production of fla reduced flavin nucleotides, right? Just following along here. Now, that complex three is cytochrome BC1, and so it, it contains a heme iron moiety. And that's how you're able to reduce every 3 plus to every 2 plus. Now, that same complex 3 will work to take Fe3 plus from complex 4 and reduce it to Fe2 plus. Okay. So how does that function? Well, complex 4 is cytochrome C oxidase. And complex four will take Fe3 plus and make Fe2 plus. So now you're coupling iron reduction from cytochrome C to the cytochrome C oxidase. Ultimately, the cytochrome C oxidase then will take the Fe2 plus generated from the cytochrome A, B, A, A2 complex of cytochrome C oxidase, and it will take a half an oxygen molecule and make a water molecule. Okay, one FO2 goes to H2O. Okay, so that's the fundamental processing of the um, chain uh, of the series of events. So electrons move through a chain of donors and acceptors, and in that electron transport chain, electrons flow down a electrochemical or electropotential gradient. 
So electrons move from a carrier with low redox potential, which means a high tendency to donate electrons, toward carriers with a higher reduction potential, which means they have a higher tendency to accept electrons. So NADH2 has an Enoch prime of 0.32 volt. That's the steady state at the level of the reduced NADH. Coenzyme Q has an Enoch prime of 0.1 volt. So it went from negative 0.32 to 0.1 volt. And that's obviously the electron flow. Succinate, from that succinate dehydrogenase, it has a resting potential of about 0.03 volt. So that's its E naught prime. Right? So it also will move towards the more positive, which is coenzyme Q. Coenzyme Q then will pass on the electrons to complex three. And cytochrome C, which is associated with it, recall, we just mentioned it, has an E naught prime of positive 0.29 volts, coming more positive, you see. And ultimately, complex four, which is actually the complex which will reduce one half of molecular oxygen to water, well, that is an E naught prime of positive 0.82 volts. So, the, the components of the electron transport chain are arranged in such a way with increasing redox potential. Going from the negative at the NADH electrode at 0.32 volt, negative 0.32 volt, to the very uh, positive, relatively speaking, of an E naught prime positive 0.82 volt, and that's complex four. Okay. So the change in the E naught values are the potential differences, or the delta E naught are the potential differences across the four complexes. And they tend they they happen to span the mitochondrial inner membrane. So again, this potential, this E naught, is a measure of the tendency of an oxidant. To gain electrons to become reduced. So the delta E naught is the E naught of the electron accepting pair minus the E naught of the electron donating pair. Okay. That's how these equations work out. So when you're going from NADH all the way to complex four, this pathway I just showed you, or described you, I should say, the electron transport chain, you're gonna go through a series of delta E naught primes, and those delta E naught primes from any DH, you're going to have an E naught prime, remember, of a negative 0.32, and from oxygen, you're gonna have a positive 0 0.82, so the overall delta E naught prime, the delta E naught prime, is going to be 1.14 volt. So that means the electrons are going to go from the NADH 
to, to the uh, cytochrome oxidase, which is complex four. Okay. So again, this is the electron uh, potential. Now, talk about membrane lipids. Okay, we've we've covered that off. Now you know. Again, that's a very brief summary of the electron transport chain. I'm not talking about oxidative phosphorylation. I'm not talking about the phosphorylation component here. I don't think I probably will. It's simply then using that proton motive force to drive a synthesis of ATPs. That's simple, obviously, but it's uh, it, it's a very elegant enzyme, and we've talked about it in the past. I'm not going to do it this morning. Now, I want to bring your attention to a paper that was published in the Journal of Biological Chemistry just in July of this year. Now, this paper was talking about sterols. And major sterol that we think about in the mammalian system is cholesterol. And I've mentioned many times that cholesterol is not in the same molar concentration in the various endomembranous compartments. Remember that cholesterol is enriched in membranes as you go from example, the nuclear envelope to the mitochondrion, to the endoplasmic reticulum, to the Golgi, to the plasma membrane, increasing cholesterol content in that spectrum of change. Okay? So we say it's heterogeneously distributed, which it is. So you've got about 60% of the total cellular cholesterol, total cellular cholesterol, is actually in the plasma membrane. And so that means all the other organellar membranes have to make up that other 40%. So relatively lower amounts of cholesterol, certainly in the mitochondria and the ER. Okay. Now, how does that work? Well, we've talked about this too. There's a cholesterol sensing mechanism, right? The sensing mechanism, remember, had to do with an enzyme that would cleave off a portion of a protein and get that protein to be mobilized within that endomembranous compartment so that eventually it can be used to activate transcription factors. It functions as a co-transcription factor, adapter molecule, to drive the synthesis of cholesterol and low-density lipoprotein receptors so that the cell can make more cholesterol and it can take more from the low-density lipoprotein, which is carrying the cholesterol, right? Yeah, you remember this now. Okay, I'm sure you do. So this 2022 paper that came out a few months ago is talking about, well, yeah, okay, we know about cholesterol sensing. We know about cholesterol biosynthetic pathway. We know that cholesterol sterifies the fatty acids. Right? But what about any other possible movement for cholesterol being vectorial, vectorial meaning teleological, meaning specifically inserting in specific membranes, and at what molar proportion? Well, there's an endocytic recycling compartment, that's the ERC, and that appears to be a major source of intracellular cholesterol, the ERC. Okay. Now, I'm going to remind you, because I don't think we've talked about this in a while, that cholesterol biosynthesis is also multi-compartmentalized. Okay, so not only is its mobility compartmentalized with different endomembranous systems, as I just said, 
It's also in biosynthesis. So in the mitochondria, you start off with acetyl-CoA, you make acetoacetyl-CoA, and then finally, I don't mean finally, meaning the end of the pathway, but one of the last reactions that we're going to talk about in mitochondria is HMG, it's hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA synthase. Then you have hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA synthase, uh, hydroxymethylglutyryl-CoA being lyased to make acetoacetate and thence acetyl-CoA. Okay, so now why do all these reactions work this way? Well, it's because you're running in the mitochondria portions of of cholesterol metabolism, but also ketogenesis, right? So in the cytoplasm, even though you have an HMG-CoA synthase, notice there was no HMG-CoA reductase in the mitochondria. In the cytoplasm, acetyl-CoA coming from, for example, fatty acid beta oxidation, um, and then running through components of the TCA cycle to citrate, and then ATP citrate lies, producing acetyl-CoA in the cytoplasm, will generate acetyl-CoA in the cytoplasm. Remember, CoA acids can traverse that membrane. And there's an enzyme called acetoacetyl-CoA thiolase, which will actually make acetoacetyl-CoA. So it's now the four-carbon intermediate. Then you have the enzyme HMG-CoA synthase, making HMG-CoA in the ER. It's the ER where HMG-CoA reductase, which of course is the target for statins, makes mevalonic acid. Then mevalonic acid leaves the ER, 